Dale wants to do, you just do it, right? Just get in here, Sheen, get your arms around him, you know? So we're all in there, you know, hey, we're having a good time here at the Winston. Dale's in a great mood. We start doing our interview. He says, all right, girls, let's get out of here. He goes, Shaheen and I need to talk business. So he gets them out and then he scoots in next to me and he reaches around behind me, Samuel, and he is digging into my kidneys like there's no tomorrow. He is just twisting up in there, doing everything he can to get me to break. One, two, oh, one, two, three, four. This is Mario Andretti, and you are listening to Below the Yellow Line. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Below the Line podcast presented by Wicked Minis. If you're looking to start your new year off with a brand new blast of flavor, head on over to MoonlightMixes.com to get your Wicked Minis today. They're great on soups, salads, or just as a little handheld snack. Again, that's MoonlightMixes.com to start your new year's off with a bang. Today's guest is Mr. Ralph Shaheen, a man whose voice is pretty familiar to most of us who have watched NASCAR or any other form of motorsports for the last few decades. He's a great reporter and, and somebody who's been around the sport long enough to know exactly what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing, unlike me and a lot of other people. But uh, it's great to have him on the show today, sir. How are you doing? Doing great, Samuel. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. My first question for you is, how did you get your start in racing in general, and how did you become a, uh, a renowned reporter? Well, my family were fans of motorsports. Nobody in my family had been a driver or a crew chief or a crew member, anything like that, just fans like so many. And we went to races throughout Northern California where I grew up. And I always wanted to be involved in racing one way or the other. You know, when I was a kid, it was three big stations, ABC, CBS, NBC. And we'd get Indy, Daytona, and Talladega basically every year. And you'd watch all 1,500 miles just with a passion because that's all you'd see. And whether it was a good race or a bad race, you watched every lap. So I would see guys like Chris Economaki and Ken Squire and all these great broadcasters. And I'd say, you know, boy, if, if you can't be Mario Andretti or Richard Petty, you might want to be the guy talking to them. You know, that, that looks pretty cool, too. So I started thinking maybe that would be a fun direction to go. I always kind of had a gift for gab, if you will, and thought maybe that'd be a fun approach. So I went to college, California State University, Chico in Northern California. Got a broadcasting and public relations double major. And while I was there, I started PA announcing at racetracks all around Northern California. First place was Sonoma Raceway. Now, what everybody back then knew is Sears Point. And I was doing uh, AFM motorcycle road races. Uh, there was a guy on my dorm floor who had a bunch of motorcycle road racing posters on his wall. And I just stuck my head in one day and I said, hey, what's with all the racing posters and he said oh i race motorcycles he goes you like that i said yeah i'm going to be a racing announcer one day he goes oh he goes well you should come announce for us we need an announcer I'm like really he said yeah so i went and i tried out it was four hours each way from chico to sonoma i announced all day we'd had 750 entries and uh i got paid absolutely nothing but a box lunch 
And that's what I got paid for that whole year was no, no actual money, just a box launch and a little something on the resume. But that's important, you know, that starts the process, right? So I started doing that and then that led to another gig and another gig and another thing. And before you know it, you're working every weekend on the PA doing something somewhere. I was, uh, while I was in college, I would work at Cycleland Speedway on Friday nights right outside of Chico, which is where, let's see, some kid named Kyle Larson used to race there and another guy named Brad Sweet and uh, Tyler Reddick and a whole bunch of guys all ran laps at Cycleland. And then I was the PA announcer there on Friday nights. And then I would do AFM on Saturday. And then when I got out of school, I was doing uh, Speedway Motorcycles in Auburn, California on Friday nights, NASCAR weekly racing on Saturday nights at Roseville, the All-American Raceway, where Bill McAnally, who is now a very successful team owner in NASCAR competition, at the time was a street stock driver. And then on Sundays, I would announce whatever was going on, whether I was something at Sonoma or Laguna or whatever the big deal was, might've been the Hangtown Motocross or Truck and Tractor Pool, you didn't know. And then on Monday nights, I was doing ladies fashion shows at a restaurant bar in Sacramento. So I had four days of on the microphone training every week. And that, that really kind of started the whole thing rolling. Then when I graduated from college, there was an IMSA season finale in Del Mar, California. And I called up about being the PA announcer. And they said, we've got all our PA guys, but we need a TV announcer for Pit Road on the ESPN broadcast. I said, have you ever done TV? Oh, yeah, sure. I've done a ton of TV. Well, I'd never been on TV a day in my life. But I figured, hey, the door's cracked open. You got to come on through, you know. So I pushed the door open and I lied my way in and got the gig. And here I am 36 years later getting ready to start another season on national TV, which is unbelievable. Suffice to say, I, I think that uh, I think that little white lie worked out in your favor. And, and you said it right there at the end, 36 years in your profession, not many people make it 20 years in a profession, let alone 36. And I talked to Alex Hayden and Steve Post from MRN. They've both been doing what they've been doing for over 20 years. So many people in the motorsports world have been. Is there something about racing broadcasting what what is the secret to longevity that so many of you guys have that you've been doing what you're doing not just for so long but also so well and you become a name that everybody knows is there a secret there or are you guys just simply really talented i don't know if there's a secret i think everybody who reaches this level of being on a national level of broadcasting whether it's television or radio i think you have to be pretty good so everybody who's gotten there is pretty talented at what they do, right? It's very subjective, so you're not going to like everybody. There's people that are going to love me and hate the postman. There's going to be people that love Steve and despise me. That's fine. That's the way it goes. There's people that loved Jimmy Johnson and hated Jeff Gordon and vice versa. They're both fantastic. You can't go wrong, right? It's just human nature. So for that point, I think everybody's pretty good at what we do. And then it becomes subjective as to who you like. After that, I think, Samuel, you just, you have to find your, your groove, whatever that is. Right? We all do different things. Some guys are 
really good at history. Some guy like Mike Joy. Mike Joy is excellent when it comes to the history side of things. Dick Bergeron, Bergie was outstanding at the technical side of things. He could tell you all about the nuts and bolts of the race car. I tend to go more of an enthusiastic level when I'm doing play-by-play. -play. And when I'm on the pit road side of things, I tend to be more about the human nature of the sport, telling you about the drivers and what makes that driver tick or the crew member, whatever it might be. So you got to find your lane and try to stay there. Now you have to be a little bit good at all of the above because you never know when you need to dig into that bag to pull something out. But you need to know what your real strengths are and play to that. And then after that, you got to be a good person, got to be easy to work with. Don't be a diva. Don't come in thinking you're better than everybody else on the crew because you're not. And you can easily, easily be replaced. Um, you got to have resilience because the rug is going to get yanked out from under you a million times. And if you're not willing to stay in the game and keep fighting, you'll you'll wash out real fast. And journalistically, you have to be very sound. You, you can't be making stuff up. You can't be lying about stories. You have to you have to be real. You have to be transparent to the fan base. And you got to do what you tell the athletes you're going to do. Perfect example. There was one time at Atlanta, Earnhardt Sr. had the flu. And he really wasn't feeling good. And I, I forgot what was going on, but there was something happening with him. And my producer really wanted to hear from Dale about this. So I went over and I knocked on the door and I said, hey, man, I got to ask you one question. He goes, one? I said, one, Dale, just one. And he stepped out to do the interview. And I asked him one question. The one question I knew my producer needed. Even if I thought of a second one, there was no way I was asking him that question. It's just one. I told him one, got to do one. If I did two, he never answers that second question, and I never get another one with him. So you've got to, whatever it is, you've got to be true to what you tell them you're going to do. Well, I think integrity and, and journalism, and especially sports journalism, with some recent things that have come out are, are on the forefront of everybody's mind. And I, I like that that was a big thing, and especially with Dale Earnhardt, because he was known to, I guess, mess with you guys, mess with the press a few times uh, oh, in, a, in a joking manner, um, just because that's who he was. Yeah, he, he did. Twist up in a big way. He, uh, um, well, there was one time we were uh, live at the Winston. It was when the Winston went to the night race at Charlotte and we were on the air and I was supposed to interview him pre-race and the, uh, wasn't the ARCA race. It was a limited sport. They used to run a sportsman category prior to the race and Carrie Earnhardt was running in it. And Dale knew we were supposed to do this interview live, but he got stuck up in the hauler watching Carrie's race and he missed the interview. And the race finished, and he comes running out, and he goes, oh, man, I'm so sorry I missed it. I go, don't worry about it. It's Dale Earnhardt. They'll take that interview whenever they can get it. So I told my producer, I said, hey, Dale's ready now. And they said, sure enough, let's come on down. He goes, she can get in here. So I come walking over. He goes, hey, girls, come over there. And there's these two young ladies standing over there. And he gets them in the middle between us, you know. And I went, hey, 
whatever Dale wants to do, you just do it, right? Just get in here, Shane. Get your arms around him, you know? So we're all in there, you know, hey, we're having a good time here at the Winston. Dale's in a great mood. We start doing our interview. He says, all right, girls, he goes, get out of here. He goes, Shaheen and I need to talk business. So he gets them out, and then he scoots in next to me, and he reaches around behind me, Samuel, and he is digging into my kidneys like there's no tomorrow. He is just twisting up in there, doing everything he can to get me to break. And I purposely went longer with the interview just because there was no way I was going to break. I, I couldn't let him get away with that because I knew what that would mean. If he got one on you, then it's game over, you know. He always tried to test you. So if you could pass his test, it was good. And so we finished the interview, and as he was walking away, he turns around, and he goes, pow, he just let me have it on the shoulder, you know, because he was laughing over the fact that he had been twisting me up. But, yeah, he, he loved to mess with you. Well, I think that interview speaks to the uh, the resilient side that you were talking about. Dale Earnhardt always known as a tough guy, and I, I would have broken. I, I bet a lot of people in the press would have broken. Um, my next question for you is, is what is the best thing about your job? I'm, I wonder if that moment's on there or not, uh, but, but what is the best thing, maybe maybe in the past or the present, that, that you just love about what you get to do? Well, the best part about it is that every week I get to go to the races and I get one of the best seats in the house to watch from. And I'm usually sitting next to a good buddy, you know, who's another former racer who you get to share that moment with calling that event. And you get to be a part of that event and the excitement of it and add to it. That's an important part. You don't want to be the event you want to add to the event. A lot of people sometimes think the event is about them and they try to overpower it. And it's not the way it is. The athletes are the event. You need to just add a little flavor to it. So that's probably the best part about it. And getting to go to places, I mean, Samuel, when I was a kid, if you'd have asked me that I would have been able to go to all these races all over the world that I've been to, and call those races and get to meet those athletes and get to know those drivers and the people within the industry and not just get to meet them, but actually become friends with many of them, real friends. I would, no way that was going to happen. That's incredible. So I'm incredibly blessed that way to have had that opportunity and to still have that. Um, it's remarkable. I can I can relate to that. I can attest to that too, because when you grow up like we did, you know, as race fans before we kind of try to break into this journalism press route of the sport, you know, I, I got to talk to Mario Andretti and Larry McReynolds a few months ago, and I'm sitting there, especially looking at Larry, because when I was young, he was still in his prime with Fox Sports calling those races every Sunday. And I just kind of had to take a step back at the end of that when we were just we were just talking and we, we were done with the interview off camera and I was sitting there thinking. I'm talking to a guy that I watched on television that seemed a million miles away and he's still, you know, a thousand miles away in Concord, North Carolina, but we're talking right now. And that's the really cool part. Like you said, getting to know the people behind, you know, the suit and tie, getting to know the person under the fire suit and um, just not only becoming, uh, I don't know, I, I guess work friends, I guess, cause you know, you're, you're both doing your jobs. They're doing, they're doing their job as a, as a driver, giving an interview, you're doing your job as a reporter, but getting to know them. And I, I would have never guessed that, that I'd be in this position, uh, the same as you. And, um, I really, 
really like that you mentioned that because it is surreal for so many of us to not only just talk to these people, but to get to know them on a, on a, on a higher level. Um, do you have a favorite memory, a favorite race, a moment that really sticks out to you? You have almost three and a half decades, more than that, to choose from. But is there one moment that really sticks out to you in particular? Being a part of the broadcast crew at CBS Sports when Dale Sr. won the Daytona 500 was pretty special. I was on pit road for that. That was um, that was pretty cool. Um, so many Supercross moments that I can't even begin to count. I mean, there were just dozens of incredible moments with Supercross that uh, spin through the brain. Knoxville Nationals being there to call uh, Daniel Lasowski's first win at the Nationals was a big deal because he was he doesn't live in Knoxville, but he was for all intents and purposes kind of the hometown guy that year, and he had been track champion there so many times and place went absolutely bananas when he won um the other one that is not a win but it was a big moment was at daytona and involved earnhardt as well remember the year he flipped down the back stretch and got out of the car and then he goes up in the ambulance and then he sees the tires are still full and he gets back in the car and drives it around well at the end of that race our producer needed somebody to go interview Dale and everybody else was tied up and I didn't realize nobody had gone to Dale yet. So I said, I'll go get him. So I go running to get to Dale and I come around the corner and he's sitting there in this smoking heap of metal and he's standing next to this tore up race car and there's all these media guys around, but well, we're live TV. So I just dive right into the pile and he sees me coming through with the microphone and he reaches in and he pulls me through and he goes, what do you need? I said, well, I got to interview you, but my battery died on our cameraman back here. So they're bringing us a new battery. I said, so I'm down for a minute. He goes, well, let's go back to the hauler. I said, okay. So he goes walking through the crowd to go to the hauler. And he reaches back and he grabs me and he pulls me through. And I'm screaming, I got Dale, I got Dale, you know. We get over to the hauler and he stands up on this ice chest. And he tells the rest of the crowd, he goes, now I'm not going to do anybody else's interviews until I'm done talking to Ralph. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is amazing, right? So we finally get the battery on the camera ready to go and we knocked out that interview. And uh, that was a really big moment because it was um, the respect he had for me to do that was unbelievable. I, I mean, I was still thinking about it today. I'm like, man, I can't believe I got that from him, but I earned that. You know, that goes back to what we were talking about of had I not done just that one question that one time he wouldn't have done that for me then you know you you build that respect and mutual appreciation with whoever you're dealing with and I was very fortunate I had it with him and that was at the time outside of the victory lane interview that was the biggest interview of the day well I heard somebody say once I, I can't remember who it was it might have been Mike Joy, Ken Squire, uh, but they said, if you can earn the respect of Dale Earnhardt, you can earn the respect of darn near anybody, not just in the garage area, but in the world. Because he was, I mean, he, he, he did give people respect, but for the most part, it had to be earned, whether it was in the racetrack, in the media center. He was somebody that if he liked you, you knew you were a pretty good person or, or he, he knew he, he could tell about people. Everybody always says he could see the air, but I think just in terms of people as well, he could see truly the good in people. And that's why he was 
so loved and, and so revered, maybe not always by his competitors because, it, you know, especially Terry Labonte, but just, that's why he was so loved by everybody in the garage area is because he knew not just how well he could drive a race car, but he also knew um, just how to be a great people person. Um, my Very last true. question. I knew, sorry. I knew reporters who were afraid to talk to him. I mean, just would not do it. Absolutely I don't blame him. But if, if it came down to, I remember being in production meetings and a producer saying, hey, we need to get an interview with Earnhardt today. Who wants to do it? And I remember other pit reporters going, not me. You know, he doesn't like me or whatever it is. And once once they were had that in their head, it was over. Yeah, I don't blame them. I'd be terrified to interview the man, too. I mean, I'd, I'd be terrified just because he's, you know, one of the greatest stock car drivers of all time. You throw in the fact that, you know, reporters don't want to talk to him. And I'd just be standing there in a corner like, don't look at me. Please don't. If, if they're terrified, I'm just as scared. Um, but just a great man, a great driver, but, but a great man. Um, my last question for you, sir, is we know you're, what you're doing in the present with, uh, is, is it Speed Sport? Is that right? magazine and and the, their digital properties there no more magazine now it's all uh television and uh video okay stuff. gotcha okay uh what what does the future hold for you you're looking to attend more races or are you looking to maybe scale things back what does the future look like uh in in journalism and broadcasting for ralph shaheen here in the next few years well hopefully it's successful because i got two kids that are trying to get through college so it's got to work for a little while longer samuel um yeah, no, I'm definitely going to be behind the microphone calling a lot more races again this year. Uh, got a schedule already filling up. I'll be doing the American Flat Track Series again. Uh, we're waiting to hear on a bunch of other stuff. I'll be doing the uh, Pro Drag Race event at Bradenton, Florida coming up. That's going to be a lot of fun. So we've got that. I'm doing the Mika Motorcycle Auction later this month out in Vegas. So wide variety of stuff. And then, of course... With Speed Sport, we've launched Speed Sport One, our own television network. That's up and running. You can go download the app right now. It's absolutely free. No subscription fees, no pay of any kind. You can just download the app and enjoy free racing 24-7, 365. Well, that's what we love to hear. Free racing, more racing, especially we still have a month left in the off season, and I think it's forty-six days until the Daytona five hundred. It no seems like off. forever. There's no month off. Chili Bowl starts next week. That's true. Oh, I forgot about the Chili Bowl. Okay, good. Well, I have off-season plans at least for a little bit longer, but racing, it seems like it almost never stops. But for NASCAR fans, especially this last month of the off-season before uh, the Bud Shootout and before the Daytona 500 always seems so long. And that's why I'm telling myself I really need to get more into sprint car racing and dirt racing because there's still a good amount of events going on in the winter that I really need to watch before I go absolutely insane and realize that there's still no NASCAR for a month. But hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. The Clash will be here before you know it. Daytona will be here before we know it. Sir, thank you so much for joining the show today and, and and telling us some stories that I'm not sure any of us would hear otherwise. So thank you for joining us today and uh, wish you all the best with Speed Sport and, and all your other ventures here in the future. Thank you, Samuel. Happy New Year to everybody and go sign up for <laughs> Speed Sport 1 right now. Enjoy some free racing. Absolutely. One, two, oh, one, two, three, four. This is Mario Andretti and you are listening to Below the Yellow Line.